This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burroughs Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrowcom slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. When I first started, you know, people sort of saying, oh, Helen's gone mad. You know, she started hanging out with kind of drug dealers and money launderers and all these strange tech geeks. And, you know, and now a lot of different people in different industries coming to me and saying, oh, you know, you were talking to me about that blockchain thing. Can we actually have a chat about that now? You're listening to Women Tech Charge from the Evening Standard with me, Anne-Marie Imaphodon. Can I wear blockchain? What is Bitcoin? And what does it have to do with horses? In this episode, I'm talking to a woman who can answer these questions simply and concisely. And she's also working hard to make sure that as many people as possible can make great change using the technology. Put your wallet away, we're getting started. I'm sat here almost seven hours from the major rail station Marle-la-Vallée in Evening Standards offices, sat opposite a guru of the technology that we call blockchain. She's working hard to ensure that we're all, or at least business people, are able to cut through the jargon of one of the biggest tech protocols of our generation. Welcome to the podcast, Helen Disney, CEO of Unblocked. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. Thank you for coming. Um, I'd said a little bit of what you do and who you are in that intro. What's the official elevator pitch for Unblocked? So Unblocked uh, is a platform for helping people to understand blockchain and distributed ledger technology, uh, and in particular in different areas of business. So blockchain is a technology that's foundational, a bit like the internet. So when you say blockchain, it's very hard to break it down. Mm. So blockchain, as it relates to your area of interest, so that could be healthcare, it could be energy, it could be finance, it could be social impact, it could be any area. So we try and go into those vertical areas and really unpack what blockchain could do in those industries. And why 
blockchain, why are you, I'm going to say obsessed. Would you say you're obsessed with blockchain? I think I probably have become yeah. obsessed with it over the last five years, <laughs> which is a bit scary. But um, I, I actually got into this whole area by accident. I'm not a technology person by background. I'm okay. not a programmer, so people shouldn't be intimidated by me and my techie skills. <laughs> um, but I think what I can bring to the area of, of blockchain is good communication about what the technology can do and what kind of problems it can solve. So... Um, I got very interested in blockchain because of that. So I looked um, first into Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, and then I realized that blockchain was the technology that sort of underpinned cryptocurrency and was, was kind of like this giant sort of database that's spread all over the world that anybody can access, and therefore we can share information and we can fix problems that way. So suddenly we could start to um, communicate peer-to-peer, -peer, not just on the internet, you can communicate with information peer-to-peer, -peer, so we can both look at a website at the same time and see the same information. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But we can um, go directly and exchange money with somebody else without going through a bank or a credit card um, company. So that's a sort of peer-to-peer -peer transfer of money. And that's the, that's the cryptocurrency. So that's cryptocurrency. Yeah, yeah. But then if you think about blockchain more broadly, you can use that not just for money, but for any asset of value. And so you could start to see ways that people could use that to perhaps share healthcare data or um, incentivize people to use renewable um, energy sources and things like that. So um, I got actually first interested in blockchain because of the use um, in the media, because I used to work as a journalist. Oh, no, um, okay. And I thought, oh, this is really interesting because the media are struggling to make money. And if you could perhaps have some kind of micro payments for articles, maybe this would be a better way of bringing revenue into the media right. rather than having sort of cumbersome subscriptions or having to rely on an advertising model. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I, I was really interested in blockchain because of the problems it can solve rather than the technology is just a, a toolkit to me for things that we can do. What sort of journalist were you? So I worked at the Times newspaper as a leader writer and, and on some other newspapers um, writing editorials as well, writing mostly about social and economic policy issues. So how to make the NHS work better, how to improve schooling, those kind of things. That's quite a difference from yeah. being in, this, in the centre of this kind of blockchain world. It is. So I think um, what happened was one one thing that you learn if you're a sort of a leader writer or you're a commentator is you have to pick up subjects that are quite complicated, break them down and explain them very quickly in an easy way that people can understand. Mm. So when I first started learning about Bitcoin, I thought this is completely sort of impenetrable. It's really hard for people to actually understand what, what it is. What you was know? that first incident? Where, where were you? Take so, me back to that. Yeah. Day. So a friend rang me up and said she was going to work on a, a big Bitcoin conference. Uh, this was at the end of 2013. Yeah. Um, and she said, you, do you know anything about Bitcoin? And I said, no, absolutely nothing. <laughs> you know, I think I've read two articles about it on the BBC website or something like that. You know, um, But I was at a place where I just um, sort of finished working on a previous business and I was kind of open to new ideas. And I just thought, you know what, this Bitcoin thing sounds quite interesting. I'm going to start reading about that. Um, but a lot of the terminology that was being used, I mean, even I mentioned peer to peer, you know, what does that mean? You know, being able to translate directly with somebody else. People understand peer to peer in terms of file sharing, you know, sharing music and that kind of yeah. thing. Mm -hmm. But um, lots of the words get used, distributed ledger technology. What does that yeah. all mean? It's very difficult for people to get their head around it. So I wanted to be the person that would hopefully help people not find it so kind of confusing and difficult. In the simplest, most layman, most... Uh, for a six-year-old listening, and apologies to any other sixes that are listening, what is blockchain? 
So blockchain, you can think of it like a shared diary. So imagine if you were six and you had your little diary that with a lock and a key, um, but you were willing to maybe share some information in that with some of your other friends. You could all access the diary and see what's in it at the same time if you were willing to trust each other. So it's a way of trusting people over a network all around the world. You don't have to be in the same country or the same room, but everybody can see the information at the same time. And does everyone have a key to be able to see the information? So if you were part of that network, then you would all be able to have the key to unlock that information. If you have a key that matches that particular network, then you can get in and see what's in there. So it's the shared diary. And then when you, if we think maybe for slightly older, so for a 15 or an 18-year-old, what's how does it work how does that shared how do, how does everyone being able to see that shared diary how does that work so you can actually go online anytime and have a look at a blockchain you can go on something called a block explorer on a website so bitcoin was the first sort of most famous example of a blockchain blockchain came about because of the creation of bitcoin the mm. cryptocurrency so it's the way of like a giant online bank statement of keeping track of all the payments that go on the bitcoin network and it's open to everyone so you can see transactions ticking along in real time on a, on a block explorer and see well look someone sent you know point two of a bitcoin to somebody else you don't know who the people are but you can just see the transactions going backwards and forwards so imagine like a big online bank statement for using a particular type of currency that that's basically what a blockchain is and and like you said the, the first use was bit with bitcoin there was a, a research paper that was done by um a secret slash anonymous person <laughs> yes the so-called pseudonymous uh Satoshi Nakamoto, who nobody really knows. <laughs> Many knows? people have claimed to be this person, but nobody really knows who it is. But they wrote the paper about using this shared diary, this shared ledger, this distributed ledger to be able to securely move these kind of these nuggets of currency. These yeah. Kind of so things. online money would be transferred so-called peer-to-peer, so from you to me, me to you, or anybody else I wanted to transact with without having to go through a third party, an intermediary, a middleman to help us trust each other. So normally, if I send money to you online, how do I know that you're Anne-Marie? You could be anybody. Um, So this trusted ledger allows me to say, well, I can only get the money from Anne-Marie if we both uh, agree that we are who we say we are, and she's got the right code and I've got the right code we can sort of match like two pieces of a puzzle and we can unlock the transaction so the money will flow from one person to the other and that ability to do that kind of secure trusted transaction online without anybody else verifying we don't need another person to say I trust Anne-Marie because it's built into the, the technology that's the real sort of power of Bitcoin and that can then be used for other things when you think about a blockchain if you can use it to send money you could use it to keep track of, of other kinds of online assets, things of value to you. So it's like a souped up s- spreadsheet. Yeah, a kind of shared diary, a shared spreadsheet. Some people say a sort of secure online cabinet that you can unlock. Mm. I think those are some good analogies. And and the other cryptocurrencies are just different types of things that are stored on that same blockchain. So there are different types of cryptocurrencies that have different aspects. So some are about privacy, keeping things you know more private online. Uh, so people have sort of invented different types of cryptocurrencies with different features. Some might be to incentivize you to use solar energy, for example. So you could get rewarded um, if you were using solar panels and get some cryptocurrency called SolarCoin, which, which says, okay, thank you for using solar panels. I'm going to give you a financial reward for doing that because that's something I want to encourage. That's just one example, but there could be others. 
Satoshi's paper on Bitcoin was how we're able to unravel not only the cryptocurrency itself, but the blockchain technology that understands it. How are we able to have this distributed ledger that is unchangeable by other people that we can all trust? So what was created was was so-called consensus mechanism called proof of work, which meant that in, in order to create Bitcoin, uh, different people involved in the network around the world have to solve a complex computing problem. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a bit like going through the stages in a computer game. You have to sort of start at level one um, to get the first coin. And then in order to get up to the end, you've got to go through all the stages from level one to level 55 to get more and more uh, coins or more and more advantages. So so-called proof of work is about proving you've solved um, this difficult kind of computing problem. And it takes a lot of computing energy. So this is where Bitcoin mining comes in. Sometimes mm. people ask about that. So mm. the miners are the people that actually create the coins. So they go around trying to fix this difficult problem and when they've they've fixed it they get a reward and some more coins get created so that's the way that if you like you know think about normal money you have the royal mint and they they create the coins and the and the notes um in an online currency obviously you don't have physical um One currency so how do you yep. do it mm. you have to prove that you've contributed something of value and the thing you're contributing is proving that you can be the next one to, to race to solve the puzzle and um and then those puzzles are kind of joined together in a chain which is where we have the word blockchain so the different transactions are grouped together in a block and the block forms a consecutive chain of activity so we always know who the last person was who solved the last puzzle and that will keep on going until we get to the the all of the bitcoin that ever will be created 21 million of them and then that process will stop but the miners will still have a role in verifying that transactions take place on the network so they're kind of feel like the security guards of the network to make mm. sure that people are behaving fairly um, and can trust each other it's fun because originally it was almost like a like the gold rush is what I kind of imagine it was like where you were getting people who were kind of doing the early miners were kind of picking things and they were finding them quite frequently and then you needed more and more computers and kind of more and more people kind of working together actually. Exactly. So at the beginning it was very easy. So you saw these stories about someone, you know, became um, a Bitcoin miner. You could just download the software into mm. a computer and then they accidentally forgot that they were mining because it wasn't a big deal in those days. So they chucked their computer away and it's now on a landfill site in Cardiff <laughs> or something, you know. Um, and and they you know, could have been a millionaire, but they forgot about it. You know, whereas now Bitcoin miners are generally you know, large data centers in parts of the world where energy is cheap because you need a lot of computing power to actually solve these puzzles. It's all the computers are working together to try and sort of solve the next more and more difficult problem. So it's become more of a global industry of, of mining and more and more kind of members, nodes, so-called nodes, sort of different members of the network are involved. So given that that's the underlying principle um, for that blockchain that was for Bitcoin, how do we get from blockchain for Bitcoin to blockchain for in insert other use case here? So what's happened with um, blockchain is, if you like, it's evolved from the beginning where you had Bitcoin, which is a, a public kind of open source project. So anyone can be part of that. Anyone can download the software, become a Bitcoin miner, even though the chances of actually getting any Bitcoins now are quite <laughs> small if you were just one person with a computer because mm. you don't have the power, you know, the odds are stacked against you. Mm -hmm. um, so what people have now done is created other types of blockchains. So you could have public blockchains, a bit like Bitcoin, but for doing different things, or you could have private blockchains. So you might want to create a bit like having an intranet rather than the internet. Mm -hmm. You might want to create a network within companies for solving a problem. So within banking, for example, companies might want to band together to try and say, we're going to 
try and um, speed up the time it takes to settle transactions between different countries because at the moment there's quite a long delay uh, money going across borders maybe we could all join together into a private blockchain network and we could actually do that process faster because if we could all trust each other and we didn't need the current intermediaries that middlemen that we have in the system we could hopefully do it cheaper and, and trust each other more easily so we could speed up that time it's almost like having a magnifying glass or kind of 3d glasses that they put over that entry within within the ledger or within the blockchain that then they're able to interpret that information in a way that is kind of human readable. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, in, in online banking, you see a bank statement, you, you log on to your bank and mm. you see, you know, what's supposedly in your account. But in reality, of course, there's lots of things going on behind the scenes. The bank is investing in various things on your behalf or mm. it's, you know, transacting in many different ways. But you don't see all of that. You just see the part that relates to you and your money. Mm. I think it's funny. I still, it's still something that sometimes I end up thinking because I'm, I'm very cashless. So I don't really carry cash. Um, so a lot of my transactions are all kind of through online banking and through cards and contactless and whatever it might be. And so sometimes I'm a little bit like, you know, that £200 isn't really there. Something I thought since I was a kid, kind of, you know, is that £200 really there? Or if, if I move it to someone else's account, they're in the same bank, the £200 hasn't really moved. It's a bit like um, the Goldman Sachs advert at the moment where um, they go and they kind of make a deposit into the bank and then it's like a hole in the table and it goes down. There's a lady downstairs that's kind of just sweeping around <laughs> this pot of cash. And I think this is like even more so that whole thing of it's just on the ledger just saying where that bit of cash that now has been owned mm. by that person not really well, that's, I mean it. that's one of the things actually that I think first motivated the creation of Bitcoin was, was lack of trust in the financial system because mm. those numbers that are on a bank statement may not necessarily be the reality of mm. course you know um, but you know once you have your own money and you can be your own bank then you can see what money you've got in your wallet and it belongs to you mm. and not to a third party institution and no one can hack yet no one has hacked in to change it to be owned by someone else not yet. not the bitcoin network no. um, i mean exchanges as you mentioned have had their problems and been hacked so where you've got kind of a bridge into um you know having other people involved and maybe there's a security breach or the you know the security of that exchange is not good because you've got a bridge to the traditional financial system there's more opportunity to break into it but mm. the bitcoin network has never been hacked so far which is which is something that's notable <laughs> highly secure because it's a bit like I think um, the example that someone gave me is current security you know you have a big fence around your house and you put up you know lights and you have a security guard but someone can still break into it um, but with Bitcoin you know you've got so many actors in the system it'd be like having to break into multiple houses with multiple security systems all around the world all at the same time it would mm. be actually quite hard to do. Mm. So your whole business is we want people to understand this and to know what it is. And you and we know that in the last five years, blockchain has, has come up and is the big buzzword and is the big new thing. And we know that it's still quite scary. So what are your top things, top takeaways for people who maybe aren't interested or are still apprehensive? Why is this something they should know? I think it gives the individual a lot more power and that could be many different examples. It could be, you know, you're living in a developing country and you don't have any access to finance. Suddenly somebody can send you money from wherever they are in the world very cheaply, almost for free um, compared to the current sort of remittance mm. costs that we have now. And you're empowering someone in a developing country um, and helping them to own an asset. And that's really the only way out of poverty is if you can not live hand to mouth and you can have your own 
uh, resources. Um, it could be that you want to, um, you know, many people are, in, are worried about the issues around climate change. Um, you want to really start trying to find a way to incentivize people to use renewable energy and you can find a way to motivate people to do that. So I think we can all think of examples of things that we personally care about or I want to manage my parents' health care from a distance. But, you know, I, I can't be there all the time physically and they're getting old so I can keep track of their healthcare, maybe even finance their healthcare in a frictionless, easy way, communicate, find out what's going on with their information if they trust me to, to be part of that system. Mm. Um, there are many things that we sort of do now that are very difficult to do in the current um, communications that we have. So if we can tie finance and information together using blockchain, then I think those kind of problems will be impactful for people on a personal level not just for global banks and you know other people which I mean it'd be great if banks work better but that's probably not something that motivates people day to day but they would be motivated to see right I could keep track of my loved ones um, healthcare and help finance them to make a phone call in hospital in a completely easy way mm. just using a simple application. Mm. I think for me the, the biggest thing has always been that lack of interference like once it's in it's in it's locked in no one can change it no one can tamper with it which I think there are very few things that we have left that are you know entirely tamper proof. Yeah, I mean, I think what, what it can achieve will be enormous and we're still really at the very early stage of that. Mm. But you see large global organisations, you know, the UN, WHO, um, EU, national governments getting involved in how can we use this to, um, you know, improve welfare services? How can we use this to solve social goals, help mm. people with healthcare problems in developing countries, refugees who might need access to um, their documents again because mm. they've been in a natural disaster exactly. or a fire yeah. um, you know there are many good examples we could think of where we could improve radically how we help people in a crisis Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. What's been your favorite use, use case? I think one of the ones I'm most interested in is um, actually something still quite new, but the use of um, blockchain for mapping um, genomic data, because this is another ethical issue where, um, you know, people want to get their genome sequence. They want to know um, their kind of DNA and their, their medical history. But mm. at the moment, companies are making a lot of money out of selling that data on. And exactly. I actually just read a fantastic book, which if you haven't read it, I highly recommend this book called The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks. Okay. Um, and this was a woman who died of cervical cancer, but her genes went on to be incredibly significant for all kinds of medical discoveries, polio vaccine, IVF, all kinds of things. But her cells were taken without her consent. 
oh, both before and after she died. Right. Um, and so if you think of something like that, you know, being able to sequence your genome and keep it securely in a wallet that you own and you can decide whether or not you want to maybe donate your information for medical research or maybe you want to even make money out of your um, healthcare data because you need the money or you, you know you just feel that just that's you something can, it's an asset that you, you should be able you to. can use because yeah. it belongs to you yeah. um, that's a very different way from the way that we you know conduct research now and I think it puts much more power back in the hands of the individual which can which in in the main can only be a good thing I guess. Yes, I mean, I think <laughs> mostly only the, the hard part thing. is, will people sort of want to manage their own data? Will they know how to do it securely and safely? Because there are certain aspects around using blockchain now, which is still quite hard for people to do in a simple way. Sometimes the way that these things are um, designed is not very user friendly and people need to have, you know, passwords and private keys, these kind of pin codes, if you like to access your your data or your money, your online money, your sort of cryptocurrency money that's different from the way we do online banking or other things. Mm. So, um, and if you lose that, you might not be able to get it back. So the, mm. there's things people have to learn about how to do that safely. But once we learn that, I think there'll be all kinds of amazing applications. So that was a massive story in the last couple of months of the, I think, 150-odd million wiped from the Canadian cryptocurrency exchange because this the guy that had that owned it, I think it was, and had the password, the only password, um, sadly died. Mm. Um, and his wife and no one else has access to that now. Yeah. I mean, is, is that something that is happening? Is that is that one example? Is that something that happens quite often? There have been quite a few examples of cryptocurrency exchanges that have had various problems from sort of fraud, money going missing. Um, I think that the example of someone dying is, is probably it's extreme, right? a new one in yeah. terms of cryptocurrency exchanges. But uh, it's a good point and goes back to what I mentioned about people needing to learn how all of this works. Mm. Because um, if you're working on sort of cybersecurity and things like that, you know, um, somebody I've met, another woman who educates around these topics said, you know, um, you wouldn't... Um, lose your house keys you know you and your husband know where you keep your house keys or you and your partner know where you keep your house keys you know and you have several sets of them probably in case you lose one you have another one and maybe you give one to your neighbor if you trust them yeah um but when it comes to cryptographic keys you know private keys for accessing something as important as as a lot of other people's money yeah there need to be backups. There need to be regulations around how that's stored and protect the consumers that are using those exchanges because they're holding money there. And ideally, you wouldn't actually hold your money on an exchange. You would use it to exchange your cryptocurrency, but you would keep your own money in your own wallet and keep that secure. Yes. But these are the kind of steps that people will need to learn because it's a whole new way of, of managing money and dealing with things. And also jurisdicting for that as well, right? Because it's not it's not something that a particular country is then going to say, by law, if you're going to run this exchange, you must keep X, Y, and Z. How, how do you think mm. we're going to get around so, this? Yeah, there's that? a big discussion at the moment. I'm obviously coming from a, I came from a journalistic and also public policy background before I got involved in the tech world. So I spent a lot of time dealing with policymakers, regulators, people that legislate on these things. And we're moving to a point where people are starting to say, well, look, there needs to be more protection. So there's a lot of discussion going on in the UK. There's something called crypto asset task force which mm -hmm. is looking at the whole issue of how you manage not just cryptocurrency but these kind of tokens that are exchanged can be used in various different ways as access to services or as a way of investing in startups or as a way of exchanging money so 
a cryptocurrency could be a currency, but it could also be a kind of reward point or it could be an exactly. investment vehicle. Mm. Um, and so when you think about the different ways these things can be used, there's a lot of ethical and, and kind of policy implications. So I think we will see more regulation coming along and it's already starting. There's been more announcements from uh, the US regulators and also the regulators here about um, at least they're mapping out what should be done and asking other experts for their inputs to see what to do because the the politicians don't really understand this either so they're learning as well yeah your whole business model though is that a lot of people don't understand this right so it's it's politicians it's business people it's society as well to just have a little bit of a of an appreciation for for what it is what the risks are what the opportunities and it's interesting how it's evolved because when I first started you know people sort of saying oh Helen's gone mad you know she started hanging out (laughs) with kind of drug dealers and money launderers and all these strange tech geeks and you know Bitcoin people, you know, what, what, what's she doing? She's you know? the cult, <laughs> they didn't yeah. really see that this was something that was going to have a greater impact on business and society. Um, and then it sort of evolved into, oh, she's doing that blockchain stuff, but we don't really know what blockchain is, you know. Um, and now it's it's moved to another phase, which is a lot of different people in different industries coming to me and saying, oh, you know, you were talking to me about that blockchain thing. Can we actually have a chat about that now? Because it's starting to impact on me. I work in the music business or it's starting to impact on me. I work in the media or I work in um, healthcare or I work in an energy company or I work in creative industry in some way so yeah it's it's come a long way from the last five years when I first started and people just thought I'd gone a bit nuts <laughs> yeah so two and it's, it has only been two and a half years how much has have your friends uh, perspectives of you working with drug dealers and other unsavory characters versus what it actually is how far have they come on that journey with you Uh, I think Bitcoin has moved out of that uh, cliche in a way now. I think people have kind of understood it's not just that uh, and that it has a much bigger impact. I mean, obviously, last year there was a big craze for um, kind of fundraising using different types of cryptocurrencies, so-called initial coin offerings, where Mm. a lot of startups were launching projects. And so that kind of hit the headlines for good and for bad. There were lots of scams and frauds, but also people really started to see a lot more in the press and in interviews stories about Bitcoin, stories about blockchain. So I think there's probably hopefully a greater sense that I'm doing something that's reasonably legitimate nowadays, (laughs) even if people still have a lot of questions. Um, But I've definitely converted some. I'm still working on on my dad, I think, and some of the others. (laughs) We've got time. We've got time. Where, where Where does blockchain meet music? So music is an interesting um part of the package in the sense that similar to the media you know as we've had kind of downloading and an online access to music obviously it's harder for people to protect their intellectual property mm-hmm. it's harder for people to make money in the same way they used to in the past as of selling cds and sort of physical, physical media bits, yeah um and so various companies are looking into different aspects of that so it might be that they are using blockchain to keep track of someone's um music rights so that they can receive royalties and payments Um, and that could be done in a more frictionless way using cryptocurrency to make kind of automated sort of micro payments so someone downloads your song you instantly get a payment and it's clear who has the share of of value from that Mm. um, use of that track Um, but it could also be other more innovative things so you could have as different technologies come together not just blockchain but you know other types of new technologies as well you could have an online virtual concert and you could perhaps reward people for um, 
taking part in that concert being an, an audience member but maybe also finding ways to learn more about that audience and then um, be able to use that to sell other products and services to people that are particularly interested in in a band what's the adoption been like though because I think I think we've spoken um, on the podcast and we're talking about music um, in one of the other episodes and I, and adoption always is the thing that holds about this technology and, and fear yeah so for the creative industries in particular have you seen that people are very open and are, you know, as soon as they know they're wanting to jump on or is there still some sort of hesitation or fear? There's a lot of hesitation and fear because, again, it's something people don't understand well. And I think mm. the sort of more mass adoption will come when large um, corporations take this on board and create partnerships with blockchain businesses or develop their own solutions. Uh, there are a few artists that have been working with blockchain. Imogen Heap is, is one that's famously developed a kind of blockchain music um, business. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Massive Attack have also put some of their tracks on blockchain. <laughs> it's still quite early days for the music business and a bit like when kind of online um, you know, downloading came along. It was something that was quite slow to evolve because yes. the music business is, is you know, Old school taking its time ways. to adapt to that mm-hmm. new trend. What's one of the weirdest examples you've seen? Um, someone told me a while ago, uh, I don't know if this is still in existence, that, that there was a, a kind of blockchain that was like a Tinder for horses. And so basically it's called Studbook. <laughs> um, and it would allow you to keep track of the sort of mating potential of horses. Ah. Um, and so those people that want to breed um, racehorses would use it as a way of kind of keeping track of, of which horses were mating with who? Oh, hilarious. <laughs> and I thought I, that was I hilarious. That. That's so it's so old school, but so new school altogether yeah. in one. It's a very unique application, but uh, and it's global as well. Horses. I was watching a show on this recently because obviously the horses have to fly across the world to go and participate in races. So there is a kind of a global component to what they're doing anyway. Yeah. So being able to kind of keep a ledger of and they're very very valuable resource. Child. So if yeah. you think of sort of a crypto asset, maybe a crypto asset is a horse with a valuable pedigree. Um, you know, rather than just, you know, some money in someone's wallet. But do you need to tag the horse so you know that that's definitely the one that they're talking about? So they part? would need to have some kind of physical connection between yeah. the horse and the... the like RFID yeah. horse, like a bionic horse. <laughs> I wonder whether that, that avoids it from being able to run in a race. If they find a chip in it. I don't know. That's a good question. But you have to, like, prove that that's blockchainable. We'll have to go back to Studbook and ask them. <laughs> <laughs> How important has failure been? In your in your journey, failure to stand on the right side of the yellow line to wear your seatbelts or otherwise. I think really important, actually. Sometimes when things have gone wrong have been the times where obviously you feel terrible and you just want to hide in the house for a few days or maybe longer. Um, but those are the times when you kind of move on and you think, what do I really want to do now? Because that didn't work. Mm. Um, so leaving my job at the Times actually was a big thing for me because I thought that was what I really wanted to do. Um, and you did that before or after the policy bit? What's the So order? I worked in think tanks for quite a while. Then I went to work at the Times. And that, was, that was straight was, out of university or So I left university. I worked in a small business for a year that was a mobile phone rental company. Okay. Then I went into a think tank for four years. Then I went to... Uh, the Times and then I set up my first business so actually leaving the Times was the prompt for me to set the first business up Mm -hmm. because I thought I wanted to be a journalist full-time and then I sort of realized I didn't um, and I didn't actually enjoy it as much as I thought I would Um, and my contract had come to an end and it was a bit kind of like oh well everyone thought it was so great I was working at the Times and now I'm not (laughs) so now what am I going to do and that was kind of the beginning where I started thinking well what was it I really enjoyed about working in public policy I enjoyed being able to connect people around ideas and help 
amplify those ideas and get the message out. And mm-hmm. so that was that was what drove the first business. And in a way, it's also what drives Unblocked mm-hmm. is amplification of good ideas and helping them to accelerate. So there's a kind of common theme, even though I, I appear to have done lots of different things in my <laughs> life. Been a journalist, run companies, worked in pol- policy, worked in tech. But I think that's probably the common theme that runs across. How did you know to to move from the first business to the second one? It was really very accidental. So getting okay. involved in the Bitcoin event was was something that I just did because I wanted to do something completely new. And I thought this has nothing to do with what I did before. Um, it's you know financial technology. It's nothing to do with sort of politics or social care or healthcare or education or any of the things I was working on before. Little did I know that it was kind of actually going to lead me back in a circle to, to back to where I started, but attacking it from a different angle. Mm. Um, so I kind of thought, well, this is really weird. People are starting to talk about me like I'm a woman in tech, but, you know, I'm not actually <laughs> someone who likes upgrading my mobile phone or, you know, find, like it, to rent it, find it difficult to <laughs> figure out how to use my TV properly. And yeah. this kind of thing, you know, so this is really kind of ironic that I'm a woman in tech because <laughs> Because actually I'm really, I mean, my husband laughs at me all the time because I'm so hopeless. So, but the communication of it and the fact that these entrepreneurs are trying to fix really quite entrenched social and economic problems, that's what kind of drives me on it. You also do need to empower lots of different people to be a part of this process Mm. as well, right? So I think Global Thinkers Forum is something you're involved with. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so I got involved in the Global Thinkers Forum, which is a non-profit um, foundation um, last year. And what I love about the foundation is the fact that it's trying to um, encourage female um, empowerment, entrepreneurial thinking, um, and highlighting people all around the world that ha- are sort of fearless in their approach to fixing problems. So it's not just technology, although obviously that's the area I work in, but um, people in politics, people in creative sectors, writers, um, all kinds of people working on social impact in different ways. Um, so we had a, a, an award ceremony at the end of last year, which marked um, 100 years of women of passion and purpose and uh, awarded lots of different um, celebrated women who've achieved great things, which might be anything from helping women who've been sent to prison to be rehabilitated through to you know having success in business. Annabelle Carmel, who famously has been very successful in um, children's nutrition, she was one of the winners. Um, and we'll be doing um, some more events. We've got a global conversation coming up next week, actually, across six different cities. Um, and uh, GTF also has something called Athena 40, which is an index for promoting the top 40 forward thinking women in the world. So I really enjoy being a part of that because I, I like to think that I can use some of my experience over the last sort of 20, 25 years of founding different companies and working in quite a variety of different sectors to help younger women have more confidence about their career and also particularly women that want to get into tech to feel like you don't have to be intimidated. It's not just a male-dominated place. It's not somewhere you can't go and ask for help. So that was blockchain. That was an intro to blockchain. Um, If people want to learn more, they can come along to events. They can attend my events. Yep. Yeah, they're open to the public. We have a lot of different types of events. And have a look at the socials. And yep. and this is just the beginning. I think that's the other thing. You know, it's we're all still learning. Like you said, we're at its infancy. So there's still so much more to be gained. So, you know, treat this as gold rush era, I guess. You're lucky to be alive now listening to this podcast at a time when you can still be impactful in the world of blockchain. So come and join the blockchain party. Yes, I should have worn my blockchain necklace. I'm sorry I didn't, but you've got a great it's necklace fine, on. It's fine, it's a podcast. We can pretend you've got it on. <laughs> Next time. Thank you for having me. It's been great to talk about it. And uh, I learned some things from you too about good analogies for blockchain. So I should be <laughs> scooping them up. 
You can find Helen on Twitter at HDisney and Unblocked is on Twitter at Unblocked Events. Don't forget to subscribe to Women Tech Charge on Apple Podcasts and it would really help if you rate and review us too. For the latest news, sports, entertainment and more audio content, visit standard.co.uk. We're Evening Standard on Twitter and on Insta it's evening.standard. I and Marie live on Twitter at AMAphidon. Good luck spelling that. And on Instagram at NotYourAverageAMI, which is a little bit easier to spell. Get in touch, have a chat, ask questions using the hashtag WomenTechCharge. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.